welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Formula Legend. On this week's edition, the Hungarian Grand Prix, the race is a little bit boring, so we talk about yellow flags instead. That's all to come in this edition of the Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and even I have to admit that I feel a little bit guilty when we have to have a guest on to review a bit of a boring race. But nonetheless, the races must be reviewed. It's in the contract. So joining me this week is Jack Leslie. You might recognise the name from our own website, f1strategyreport.com, as the man who writes up the reviews of every race. He's also a motorsport journalist in general. Jack, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Michael? I'm, I'm doing as well as I could be after the race that sort of let us all down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it was so much promise in this race, wasn't there? Because we were meant to see Red Bull racing roughly on pace with Mercedes and maybe even Ferrari. And it just didn't eventuate. We're going to start at the start of the weekend. But I mean, were your expectations as tempered as mine after we got through first practice on Friday? And the gap was, what was it, like half a second between Mercedes and Red Bull? Yeah, it looked a lot closer in practice, but it didn't really <laughs> materialise, did it? I think in Hungary, it's kind of hit and miss whether you get a good race or not. It usually, mm-hmm. if, it, if there's a bit of rain or anything like that, it usually spices things up. But if it's dry, it can be quite processional. Um, and we kind of saw bits of that in the race uh, on the weekend so yeah it didn't really meet my expectations especially when we've had <laughs> such good races like over the last couple it's like um a big high coming up after Silverstone. that's a pretty good race and then it was just a bit meh really wasn't it yeah it was especially considering yeah not only is the well the season so far has been pretty good we've been reasonably lucky in that we've only had you know a couple of races that were a little bit average but Hungary and granted Hungary used to have a history of being a bit average I think Martin Brundle used to just not turn up to Hungary sometimes because it wasn't <laughs> worth the time but the last couple of races have been really good and in fact we saw that this has been a Mercedes bogey track if you like in the turbo era they won in 13 with Hamilton but in 14 and 15 it was Ricardo and Vettel for Red Bull Racing uh, and Ferrari and part of this I think is because it has that name tag Monaco of the East which is really ambitious I think because it's nothing like Monaco it's it's a bit slow it's a bit twisty but it's not like Monaco but it also what it did have like Monaco I think was that uh, not very grippy surface it had a really old surface I think some parts of it they were saying is as old as the circuit itself which is 30 years not unlike Monaco which has a really low grip surface it's been resurfaced ahead of this race uh, and it seemed like it really suited the Mercedes didn't it? it gave them an edge when they didn't seem to have it last year or the year before yeah I think the new track surface definitely helped Mercedes because everyone's going into the race thinking, oh, Red Bull will really be able to challenge. Um, and obviously, Red Bull excels on high downfall circuits. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the higher temperatures maybe in the the smoother the new track is a bit more grippy. Maybe that did suit the Mercedes a little bit more and um, yeah, prevented the others from properly taking the fight. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, as a sort of side note, we see with new circuits all the time that we're using this super dark asphalt, which is always incredibly smooth and doesn't always have heaps of grip. But it, I mean, talking to the likes of uh, Russia in particular and Baku, this did have more grip. It was a different type of asphalt. But I think Daniel Ricciardo was saying on Friday, it's a shame when we start to standardize, and Lewis Hamilton too, it should be said, standardize these 
circuits and make them more alike each other because I guess coming into this race, the expectation, as we were saying, that Red Bull was going to challenge and the expectation from Red Bull was that it might challenge because of the uniqueness of this track. I mean, do you feel like we lose a little bit in Formula One when we try to make all the tracks really similar? I mean, even the curbs, they've all been flattened at this track uh, and it took away a little bit of what made it Hungaro ring. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's true. It it kind of had that charm and character about it and mm-hmm. as the years go over, they seem to be trying to take more and more away from that because it was pretty bumpy as well before it was resurfaced yeah. and I know that kind of just adds to the challenge and the spectacle that we see like a driver might hit a bump, it might, you know, cause them to go off or, you know, lose their line or anything like that. So, yeah, I think it kind of takes a bit away from the the older tracks, but obviously they do need to be resurfaced at some point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> should just all race on concrete, just because. Yeah. <laughs> like, just see how that goes. I mean, it'd be it'd be a bit like uh, they always talk. I mean, we shouldn't keep talking about it like it's Monaco because it isn't. But to make an analogy, the run down to Mirabeau from Casino Square. I think I get the corner names right. There's that massive bump in the middle of it, yeah. which they've never removed. And why would you? Like it would remove the character. Yeah, definitely. They have to actually go around that. It's so big of a bump, don't they? Yeah. It's sort of incredible in some respects. They haven't removed it. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what would happen if they actually went over it. Just launch yeah. into the air or something. Get a bit of air. I need Maldonado back, I think, for that one. That's surprising yeah. he didn't do it, actually. He probably did in some junior category. But we digress. <laughs> we have to go through qualifying because this is what sort of set up the race. Uh, it also made the track completely green after it started being rubbered in over the weekend. But qualifying was defined by the fact that it took many, many hours to complete, despite there only normally being about an hour to get the job done. And that's because there was a huge amount of rain just before the start of qualifying, actually into the first 20 minutes of qualifying. They delayed the start, and there were also red flags and, and so on and so forth. But the result of this, we talk a lot about the new Pirelli rules, whereby you can bring your own allocation of tires and in whatever arrangement you want, meant that a lot of teams didn't use as many tires as they normally would because they were using lots of wets and intermediates i mean how much did how much of an advantage is that do you think in this era where we can choose all our tires and we can potentially have an optimum strategy if we only have the tires left that we need i think it's kind of a bit of a double-edged sword because um some in some respects you can mix things up with a strategy maybe you can change what you're going to do you can if you have another extra set you can make another stop if you want to be a bit more aggressive but also it means that you're left with some tires that you're not actually using. So mm-hmm. um, it's kind of, it has an advantage and disadvantage in that respect. Um, but yeah, I think the fact that it was wet um, definitely opened things up a little bit more in terms of strategy for this race. And um, yeah, it was just a shame qualifying took so long to, <laughs> to actually finish. I remember when Harry Anto crashed and I was just like, not again. Like, please, no, I just want this to finish so we can get on with everything else. I've been over here for the races, uh, as listeners might know, and I've never heard as big a sigh uh, from race control <laughs> and the, the media centre generally as each red flag happened because it was all I don't think we got more than five minutes at a time done maybe less could have been less than four minutes between red flags yeah it was ridiculous oh it was painful it was that's what I said I actually said it was painful just watching it because (laughs) you literally get back into the flow and everything would start going again and I'm sure the drivers were very relieved about that and then Mm. some would just go off and shunt so 
Yeah, it was quite frustrating, really. It took two hours, didn't it, instead of one? Yeah, it essentially took two hours, and that's before you consider the investigations that happened afterwards, which we'll talk about just in a moment. Uh, Yeah. Because frustratingly, despite the delay and despite the fact there was rain, which rain normally shakes up the order, although I guess it's when it's lighter rain and it just happens in the session they don't have to red flag it that it shakes things up. But we we had this tantalizing prospect of, of drivers starting out of order on a track that is difficult to overtake. That would have been the ideal situation but the rain finished before the end of Q2, really. So they were running dry tyres by Q2. And the only drivers we got out of sequence were Raikkonen, Massa and Perez. Uh, and you could even argue that some of them end up out of sequence at the best of times anyway. Uh, but we almost had Hamilton out of order. We almost had him out in Q2 because of just the way the conditions were working. I mean, do you feel like... This is a completely hypothetical question now. Given this track is so difficult to overtake, as we'll talk about momentarily, had Hamilton, the guy who never gives up, in fact, he's done similar races where he started from the back here before, do you feel like he still could have won this race had he been eliminated in Q2? Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> I think that the track is so difficult to overtake on. I think it would have been it would have been pretty tricky. Um, yeah, especially with, you know, the likes of Vettel... Verstappen, Ricardo to get through mm-hmm. to actually get, and obviously Rosberg to get through as well. So I think maybe a win. He could have probably got a podium mm-hmm. just by the actual Mercedes pace being that much more superior than the rest. But um, yeah, I mean that would have been pretty exciting for the race. We wouldn't have been talking <laughs> about a dull race if that had happened. That would have been pretty fun watching him come through the field. I remember when he was just just in, wasn't he? It was on the bubble. Mm. I remember thinking, wow, that would have been pretty pretty cool if he had gone out because then we would have been in for a really good race. Yeah. Um yeah. So I think I think he wouldn't have maybe got a win, but um yeah, it would have been pretty fun if he had been knocked out. I mean obviously all the Hamilton fans would have been devastated, <laughs> but for all of us non Hamilton or non fans of any other driver just neutral mm-hmm. i think that would have mixed things up quite nicely yeah it would have also uh underlined i guess how fast mercedes had the potential to be around here because there's obviously there was a degree of management by a lot of the, the teams around here given how hot the track was and how much they really wanted to run a two-stop strategy so maybe we would have seen uh the mercedes properly unleashed but i guess that's uh, something we'll never know uh but nonetheless that's how qualifying mostly panned out it was a, a reasonably standard top order of a ross leading Hamilton but that was mildly controversial in itself and we'll only digress on this for a moment mildly because, yeah well because it has so much longer to run I suspect considering Germany's only a week away I think there'll be plenty of talk about it there double yellow mm-hmm. flags now these have always been contentious in Formula One because there's no quantifiable uh, regulation about what a double yellow flag means it means to slow down significantly and prepare to stop or change direction now what does significantly mean Rosberg thinks it is to drop your speed by 20 kilometers per hour and lose approximately one-tenth of a second. Uh, Hamilton disagreed. So did uh, Christian Horner from Red Bull Racing. But the stewards didn't investigate until three hours later, which was ridiculous. Rosberg was actually at a... Uh, some kind of charity event I think it was in another town and had to be sped back to the circuit (laughs) to go before the stewards I mean what was your take on it because it was interesting to be watching qualifying at the time think it's over and then realize Rosberg set a purple sector did you feel like he should have slowed more um yeah I think it was a pretty strange one wasn't it because it is all about Mm -hmm. what people's perception of slowing down significantly is and I know in f1 one tenth is quite a lot but 
Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, if you look at Hamilton, he properly backed off. And I know Alonso was ahead of him. It's kind of ironic that Al- Alonso was the one who <laughs> messed up his qualifying lap, considering what happened back in 2007. But yeah, I think it's if you look, they looked at the data, and it was obvious that Rosberg has lifted a bit, but I don't think he lifted enough. You can't set a purple sector in the second sector when there's been a double-waved yellow flag in it. Like, I don't think that's really on. Um, so it was quite strange. I was expecting some kind of penalty to come from the stewards and when they finally decided to investigate it. Um, yeah, so I was surprised. I think he should have lifted off more. Um, and I think it's interesting what Lewis said in the press conference after the race about setting an example for all the other drivers and the young drivers because it really should be clarified. You can't have this kind of open rule where some uh, one-tenth lifting off or five-tenths lifting off can just be the same acceptability. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I th- I was expecting a penalty, that's for sure, but um, what that was, I wasn't really sure, but I, I was expecting something to come from the stewards' late meeting <laughs> on Saturday. I, love you. I, I want to play devil's advocate here for a moment because it's been such an interesting topic uh, and I think there inevitably will have to be some kind of clarification because ultimately, as I think you saying Lewis said and also as I think Sebastian Vettel was very vocal about on Sunday night, that Formula 1 is an example to everyone from all the way down to karting really given it's the biggest motorsport category in the world, that Rosberg... And we know that Rosberg has been or has that stereotype of being the cerebral driver, the man that knows all the rules and knows everything. He knew the rules and he knew that he did enough, also considering that the yellow flags changed to green while he was in the sector. So he was never going to have to lift as much as Hamilton, given Hamilton, as you said, was right behind Alonso pretty much. But ultimately, whether or not there's a rule of thumb or our gut feeling saying he should have slowed down more, the regulations ultimately allowed him to do it. So is this more the fault of the regulations, do you think, than Rosberg? Because ultimately, the stewards' investigation found that he hadn't committed any crime against the yellow flags because the regulations say that he didn't. Yeah, obviously, as a driver, they're going to try and find as much advantage as they can, even in a yellow flag zone. So if Rosberg felt Mm -hmm. that a small lift would have been enough then, um, you know, that's fair enough. But I think the stewards really need to clarify and kind of pinpoint this rule because leaving it open to interpretation from the drivers will mean, you know, there's varying different degrees of lifting off and that kind of thing. So um, I think there is a, a problem with the rules there. It's just too open for the drivers. If they can decide, you know, someone thinks one-tenths enough, sometimes someone thinks five-tenths are enough, that isn't really how the rule should be, is it? It should be kind of a, a mm-hmm. bit more strict and pinpointed in what it should it should entail. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's a bit of a flaw there that needs to be worked out. But, yeah, like the stewards investigated. They didn't give Rosberg a penalty. That's fair enough. Um, you know, they have all the data. I don't have all the data. So <laughs> it's just me kind of seeing what I've seen and, and commenting on it. But, um, yeah, I think uh, there's something in the rules that needs to be done because you can't have someone complaining that you know that isn't enough of a lift and someone else completely disagreeing and thinking the complete opposite and saying it's fine you know everyone should be agreeing on what Mm -hmm. is acceptable i think that's a good point actually there needs to be there there needs to be agreement because that's the only way regulations can really work properly if everyone's on the same on the same page essentially about something so i suspect somewhere in the future appendix h of the sporting regulations 
God, it was so, <laughs> so difficult to even find what regulations they were pointing to that night. But anyway, that was qualifying done. Mildly contentious, <laughs> extremely elongated. No one got out of the circuit till 10 o'clock or something ludicrous like that. But the race came. Everyone had some promise for the race because it was going to be a showdown between the Mercedes drivers, Red Bull, and even Sebastian Vettel of Ferrari. Pirelli predicted this was going to be a two-stop race. And of course, the strategy was important at a circuit like Hungaro Ring because you can't really overtake very much. Most drivers did a two-stop race. And as a result, not much happened. It all happened at the first turn, didn't it? I mean, it was it was interesting to see that everyone's starts were very similar, or arguably that Red Bull start was a little bit better. But I mean, that that's pretty much where the race ended, didn't it, Jack? But the fact that at the first turn we had Hamilton, Rosberg, at the Red Bulls, and we also had a Ferrari in the mix. Yeah, that's that. I think it was telling that Lewis said like that was the moment, and Nico said as well that was the moment that defined the race. Because, um, I mean, the start is important anyway because it can set you up on what happens later on. But, um, yeah, it was really important for Lewis to get out of Nico. And the Red Bulls looked like they had a bit better starts and they tried to make a move. I mean, Ricardo went around the outside. He, well, he tried to go around the outside. It didn't quite mm. work out, but it was a good effort all the same. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, so it kind of set us up for what was to come. Um, it would have been nice if Ricardo had managed to stay ahead of Rosberg because that could have been quite a nice little dicey mm-hmm. battle in the in the early laps. But yeah, it was all pretty even. Um, I know a couple of people down the the bottom end had bad starts and kind of lost a few places. But I think we've seen a lot we've seen a lot in recent races where people just haven't made that much ground or lost that much ground on the starts. It's all been mm-hmm. everyone's kind of getting to grips with these new regulations that we had. So. Um, yeah, that kind of defined the race, the turn one, which is a shame because <laughs> that isn't really how we want it to be. But um, yeah, mm. that's how it was. Yeah, it is interesting that you note there because the start of the year was defined a little bit by drivers having quite different starts because of these regulations, as you say, where the starts are completely manual. The driver has to figure out the clutch bite point and all that kind of thing on his own. Uh, and Hamilton, for one, got some particularly poor starts at the start of the year. In fact, they cost him race wins, I'm willing to say. Uh, and more points on top of just race wins. Yeah. Uh, but everyone seems to sort of be coming to grips with it. And importantly, I think Hamilton's coming to grips with it because for how long was the feather in Rosberg's cap in the psychological war between these two drivers? Well, I have the better starts and that's why I keep winning races against Hamilton. You think that's going to start costing Rosberg in this battle between Hamilton? I mean, he's already lost the points advantage in this race. Does he have anything now he can fall back on to say, <laughs> well, I'm better than Hamilton here? Um, that's quite an interesting question, actually. Like, it's... um. Obviously, Lewis did lose a lot of points. I, I would agree with you. Like He lost a lot of potential wins and more points to Rosberg just from the starts because he really was struggling with this new regulation, mm-hmm. it looked like. So that was kind of one of the main things that Rosberg had, one of the main advantages. So now he's lost it, yeah. Because Lewis now has the you know the positive momentum. He has looked like the maybe the slightly faster driver between the two all season. It just mm-hmm. hasn't worked out that way for him. So, yeah, I think maybe this is the turning point for Lewis. And now he's got the championship lead, yeah. I think they'll just only spiral from here, really. Um, we've seen mm. it before, haven't we? When Nico's had a, a bit of an advantage and then he something happens and he loses it and it just kind of goes downhill a bit from there. So, yeah, but, I mean, mm. it was quite interesting. Like, Nico was always lurking in the background during the race and we've seen it so many times before but he just wasn't able to have that little bit extra to close up. And I know overtaking is difficult around the track, but 
You know, he wasn't even close enough to try a move. It was frustrating to watch uh, these two cars, these two evenly matched cars, as far as machinery is concerned, essentially follow each other around the track. And there were times when Hamilton encountered traffic or towards the end of the race even locked up and went off the track and the gap closed from what was around roughly a consistent two seconds to less than a second, half a second, I think it was at one point. And you're thinking, this is it, the move is going to be on here. And it never eventuated. And within the space of half a lap, or maybe even one lap, Hamilton was able to completely rebuild that gap without any effort. Uh, I mean, the two-part question, I suppose, here, because it seems like in that situation, not only was Hamilton keeping a little bit back, both Mercedes were probably keeping a little bit back. It seemed it, it had echoes of China last year, didn't it? Because it seemed like Hamilton was was racing slow enough to keep Rosberg within the grasp of the Red Bull cars behind. And we all thought that Red Bull was going to undercut and try to get in front of at least Rosberg, as I was saying earlier, and maybe Hamilton. And they did undercut Red Bull racing, but they undercut the car behind them, which was Sebastian Vettel. When did you feel like Red Bull gave up the chase for Mercedes? Because as far as they were saying, it happened very early. In fact, there was a point in time where the race wasn't even about Mercedes anymore. Yeah, they seemed to kind of... It looked quite promising in the first couple of laps, but it mm. seemed like after the first pit stop, they just kind of switched their focus to Vettel. Um, and I don't think that's a necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, they needed to keep on to this third place. It's important that they get the podium. Mm. So... um yeah, I think that was um, it was quite interesting to see them and hear about um, them switching off from Mercedes. It just kind of shows how much the advantage was that Mercedes had. They knew uh, Red Bull that mm-hmm. they they just weren't gonna be able to contest for the top two. Let's talk about Raikkonen because he was really the the point of particular interest in this race i'm going to say the prime mover of the grand prix started 14th in one of the cars that was caught out by uh, wet weather qualifying finished sixth on what was the only really successful counter strategy so the standard strategy for the top 10 was to start on your used super softs from quali and then have two stints roughly evenly matched on the super soft uh, on the soft i beg your pardon daniel ricardo was the only driver who had a, a sort of longer last stop to undercut as we said vettel but raikkonen started on the soft huge stint on the soft 29 laps the theoretical maximum then two quick stints on the super soft that was critical to jumping him up the order and i suppose it underlines how much of an advantage these top three cars now the mercedes red bull racing and ferrari do have over the rest of the field because the next car was fernando alonso's mclaren obviously there was never any contention in fact i think the entire field up to raikkonen was lapped so is, was this, considering this is such a chassis circuit and there's a little bit of power involved in terms of how well you can put the power down out of slow corners, does this really underline how dominant these three teams are now and how much the likes of even Williams and Force India aren't really in contention? Yeah, definitely. I think it just shows how much of a gap there is between these three teams and the rest of the pack. Raikkonen was able to kind of weave his way back through the field on the softs pretty quickly, mm-hmm. even though even one's drivers who were starting on new super softs, he had still had quite a bit of an advantage. I think it was quite clever as well, putting on two super soft stints at the end, because obviously the track was rubbered in, it was nice and warm, there was more grip, and his fu- he had a lot less fuel, so they really made, took advantage of these better mm-hmm. conditions and car performance on the super softs and it really kind of brought him up the order especially the first two stints the last stint obviously he was more just trying to get past Verstappen and we know he didn't 
mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it does. It really does show how much quicker the top three teams are. And I mean, Williams were kind of nowhere during the race. Mm. Force India were quite disappointing and a bit lazy with their pit stops. I mean, <laughs> did you see your own Perez? Yeah, yeah. it was just like wheel guns, like lying in the mm. middle of the pit box. Like, um, yeah, I think it definitely shows the strengths of the top three teams and how kind of the midfield pack is continuing to just gradually drop back from that. Mm. And I mean, Raikkonen sort of underlines a particular thing, that battle at the end, the probably the most noteworthy battle of the race between Raikkonen and Verstappen, Raikkonen trying to get past Verstappen. There was a move, uh, I think, with about 13 laps to go or thereabouts uh, that Raikkonen tried to put on Verstappen uh, around turn two it was contentious and it was interesting because for me watching the video it was sort of both cars darting around a little bit it was Raikkonen's fault because he darted three times hit the back of Verstappen luckily Verstappen didn't get a puncture and even Raikkonen's front wing wasn't too badly damaged but a lot of the movement cert- well, certainly in the Ferrari garage but that's to be expected but even elsewhere seemed to suggest that Verstappen was at fault for moving too much is that your opinion or, or do you think this was more a, well it was obviously a racing incident but more down to Raikkonen in terms of the damage I think course. Verstappen was there's a very fine line with this whole weaving kind of concept in Formula 1 and I think Verstappen mm-hmm. was very close to that um, but I don't think it was anything too drastic or too like I don't think he went over that line um, obviously in a defensive situation mm-hmm. you're going to push the limits a bit more you're desperate to hold on to the position um, and I definitely think the clip that Raikkonen had with the the right rear of Verstappen's car was his fault he just took a turn to the right too late and that's that's what happened you know Verstappen was kind of already on the line he was taking at that point and Raikkonen obviously had to make Mm. evasive action but he just took it a bit too late and that's why he hit his front wing so I think you know Verstappen was kind of on the line he didn't really go over it too much but maybe a little bit but it wasn't anything you know to investigate obviously the incident with Raikkonen was just a racing (laughs) incident well that's what I think anyway well, now, our next race to settle all of these arguments, in fact, the last race before the mid-season break is the German Grand Prix. It's only one week after the Hungarian Grand Prix. Do you feel like there can be any change in the form between now and then in terms of the psychological battle between Rosberg and Hamilton? Can Red Bull stay ahead of Ferrari again heading into this break? And how do you think it's going to pan out? I think it's, you know, Nico has home advantage because it's his home race, but I think Lewis is kind of on a roll. He has the momentum going. He's probably in a much more positive mindset now. He's got that lead in the championship. So I think, and he does typically go well at the Hockenheim ring. So I think it will be, I think Mercedes will continue to be well clear at the front. You know, the track has a few more straights. You know, that won't be very helpful for Red Bull. It might bring Ferrari into the mix a bit more. But I think Lewis is in good form at the moment. So I think going forward um, into the next race, I think we'll see him, you know, outperforming Rosberg a bit more. I don't know. It's kind of hard to, you know, to to predict. But um, mm-hmm. he seems to be in good shape and in good with good momentum. So yeah, it should be a good weekend anyway. Hopefully the race is better than the one in Hungary. <laughs> I think that track kind of it favours overtaking a bit more. So mm-hmm. hopefully we should see a bit more um, racing all up and down the field. And perhaps we can send off this first half of the season on a slightly higher note than, well, that race was a bit disappointing, wasn't it? Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> Jack Leslie, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me.
That's all the time we have for this edition of the Strategy Report. If you want to read more about the strategy of the Hungarian Grand Prix, go to f1strategyreport.com for Jack Leslie's write-up of all the action from Budapest, or search for F1 Strategy Report on Facebook and Twitter. Could you have done a better job than the teams at the Hungarian Grand Prix? Try your hand at your own race strategies with the 2016 edition of the Formula Legend mobile game, now available on iOS and Android. My name's Michael Amanato. You can find me at Michael Amanato on Twitter and join me in just one week's time as we look back on the German Grand Prix.